episode two of the Sun Devil Source Report alongside publisher Chris Cartman and big board guru and recruiting analyst Kevin Stewart. I'm your host, Kerry Crowley. Episode two, we're now available on iTunes and Google Play, so if you're coming to us that way, we thank you for waiting with us and joining us on those two platforms. And now when you search Sun Devil Source Report on iTunes, you can download and subscribe to our podcast. Even my dad's going to probably be able to listen to it now. (laughs) (laughs) We just want to make our technology accessible for everyone in the Sun Devil Source community. Tuesday, August 9th, a big day so far in fall camp. Probably the biggest day, Chris, and that is because of news you broke this morning about Bryce Perkins. There's a significant number of developments that really occurred throughout the day and Ultimately, we learned that Bryce Perkins would be staying at ASU, remaining at the quarterback position, and he'd be out two to three months with a neck injury. But what got us to this point, and what did you learn through your reporting? So often when news is developing, it's very fluid and you're close to the situation. And so uh, there's a lot of twists and turns that, that can happen as it's unfolding. This just happened to be an extreme case of that. Uh, we first heard uh, some some uh, rumors uh, that uh, – Bryce Perkins had interacted with ASU coaches on Sunday evening during their their day off about the possibility of changing positions and subsequently were able to confirm that that was true earlier today um, as they were actually going to practice uh, in the morning and we saw that Bryce Perkins wasn't out there. Now, a day earlier, Perkins had been hurt at the end of the Monday practice and um, so we knew that that could have been a reason for it, but uh, what we were able to report was that uh, he had discussed with ASU coaches the possibility of uh, getting a scholarship release to explore the idea of looking at other colleges. That's a, a requirement that you have to have. You have to basically be able to provide the other coaches with the scholarship release form so that you can have that, that conversation. And then uh, subsequent to getting more information about the injury that he sustained to his neck at the end of uh, Monday practice, uh, there was a determination made from subsequent conversations with ASU's coaches and also the people in Perkins' family and, and others that he's been uh, discussing with this uh, this issue in the last couple uh, days. Uh, there was a determination that he would not seek uh, a transfer at this time. He is going to be out for two to three months, we're hearing from sources, and I think that... Uh, our understanding is that because he was injured, that factored into the deliberation process and, and contributed very significantly to him ending up not uh, wanting to transfer. Now, a lot of developments have taken place in the last 48 hours, rapid movement on the Perkins situation. When Graham was asked about it today, we were still learning things from different sources, and he really didn't want to comment on the situation. He said that Not to his knowledge was Bryce Perkins considering a transfer, but all of this took place really over Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. And what I want to do is step back and look at the grand scheme of things right now. When you look at the ASU quarterback situation, Todd Graham and offensive coordinator Chip Lindsey have said from the beginning of fall camp, from the start of spring, that this was a three-headed competition with Manny Wilkins, Brady White, and Bryce Perkins. But Kevin, coming out of the spring, the coaches kind of had them ranked as 1A, 1B, and 1C, despite saying that there would be a really even quarterback competition. It felt like Wilkins was 1A, White 1B, and Perkins was slipping behind as 1C. Yeah, definitely. When they started out uh, last week, Perkins was with the newcomers on the first day. We were told not to read too much into that. 
the second day, obviously, he went with the first team or the first group. But he, we thought he looked behind the other two. And as the week progressed, his stats were strong. We, were, we did tread all the quarterback stats, and he was the most accurate passer. But most of those were short, mid-range throws. You know, he looked okay. His mechanics looked stronger. But we kind of, at least I felt that when he was pressured, when he, he kind of regressed a little, and his mechanics kind of broke down a little. So it wasn't a surprise when we saw him at the beginning of this week look like he was with the third team. And Chris, at the beginning of August, you released your quarterback preparedness grades of Manny Wilkins, Brady White, and Bryce Perkins. How did those shake out, and where did you have Perkins slotting into this competition based on your evaluations? Well, admittedly, it was a little bit tougher to get the full perspective this year in the spring because ASU changed its practice policy. Uh, every year I've been doing this until this year, practices have been, have been open in full in the spring, and you could even videotape everything, go back and watch it, get a, a much richer perspective on how these battles were unfolding. This year we were limited, probably watched about a third of practices on average, but just from those uh, segments that we were able to observe, uh, Bryce Perkins through uh, significantly more Jeopardy throws than the other two guys, uh, Manny Wilkins and Brady White. I would say he probably had twice as many interceptions and a number of balls that should have been picked. It looked to me that he was really pressing. There was a clear sign that he needed to make some uh, adjustments to his delivery of the football. Uh, and uh, there were limitations with his throwing range and his velocity, especially on deeper throws or, or wide side throws, that um, were really apparent. And so um, heading into the summer, as we evaluated all of the players as we do annually now, uh, we uh, gave Manny Wilkins a slightly better grade than, than Brady White, and Brady White a slightly better grade uh, than um, uh, Bryce Perkins, both in terms of their current preparedness uh, and then the potential of Perkins due to some of those issues with his arm um, was a little bit behind as well. And we kind of felt entering camp that there was a clear indication that Perkins was third on the depth chart and then he was going to have to really make an impression quickly in order to move up because you have coaches, uh, they don't want to give three quarterbacks a lot of reps if they don't have to. Uh, as you get into the second and third week uh, of camp because you're really trying to, at that point, start to transition towards getting ready for the season. Now, what we do know about Perkins is throughout his recruiting process from Chandler High School, he wanted to play quarterback at the college level. There were college coaches that looked at him perhaps at other positions, and as we've discussed, ASU in the past few days has asked him about a potential position change. But Perkins has been committed to playing quarterback, and much of those grades were based on what Perkins showed in the spring. But, Kevin, when we saw Perkins at the start of fall camp the first few days, we saw improved mechanics. We saw differences in his throwing motion. Much of that was due to his work over the summer that he attributed to a quarterback's coach in Dennis Guile, a native of Arizona, Cortez High School graduate, who's really considered a quarterback's guru and a guy who could help, help him with his mechanics. Yeah, Guile's someone that we know has worked with Kyle Allen and some others in state in the past. So he's uh, pretty renowned for his quarterback coaching. And it looked like it paid off with Perkins in the, uh, the start of the fall. He was definitely a lot better. He's progressed a lot over the last two years. We were seeing him freshman, sophomore year slowly develop. And his mechanics got a lot better at the start of this camp than we'd seen in the past. You know, uh, even, even earlier than that, Kevin, we remember watching uh, Bryce Perkins when he was uh, in high school at Chandler and, and going in there to ASU's Maroon and Gold Camp and talking between us off the board and, and saying, 
uh, you know, it doesn't look like he's going to be a quarterback at the next level. Uh, just, uh, I think he was a sophomore going into his junior year when we first yeah. took a look at him in that in that in that fashion. And the development that happened between then and his freshman year at ASU was very significant. Um, of course, he led Chandler to a state championship. Was really the MVP of that team in 2014. And so. It gave you pause. It made you think maybe if he continues this rate of development, given how athletic that he is, he has great size for the position. Uh, if the arm issues continue to progress and develop and he became more of a true quarterback, uh, that he was going to really have a chance. But uh, it just sort of happened that his rate of development then was matched against people who were also uh, capable of playing quarterback at this level, and he just ended up being, in our estimation, a little bit behind, and I think that created the situation uh, which culminated with the developments today. And when you look at Bryce Perkins in the spring, he was a different quarterback than what we saw the first three days, and it wasn't just the mechanics. As Chris said, he was putting balls in jeopardy. He was throwing interception. And, Kevin, the stats don't bear that out from the first three days of fall camp. And when you consider when Arizona State asked him to make this move, potentially look at playing a different position, it was four or five days after the start of fall camp. And the media was able to watch three practices in their entirety at Camp Tontazona and at Rumsey Park in Payson. And Perkins graded out pretty well. He wasn't putting balls in jeopardy. He was doing a little of the Noel Mazzoni offense that you and I aren't particularly sure. fond of where – where you're throwing the ball to your backs, where you're where you're checking down to your tight ends. But ultimately, Todd Graham preaches ball security more than anything else. That's a factor that they look at, and he looked good up in Camp Tatsuzona in that regard. Well, to be fair, we didn't actually see him the first day because he was with the second group, and we didn't see that portion. So that aside, he was better. He wasn't putting the ball in jeopardy. He was hitting his backs. He was a little more decisive. And, you know, he looked better. But I think one of the things that – in my opinion, played into this too, is what's coming up behind him. D Dylan Sterling Cole looks good, and I think that's a big part of it too. You got him, you got Ryan Kelly committed. They're not going to have five quarterbacks next fall. I just don't see that happening, and obviously it doesn't look like it's probably going to happen. Yeah. I, I, again, you come into a pressure situation from a timing standpoint wanting to uh, drill down on a couple guys and give them the majority of the reps as you get into scrimmages. And, and other prep work. And Chip Lindsey has spent more time with these quarterbacks than anybody in the last year. And if he feels like, given his experience level and what he's seen from all these reps, watching them live and then watching them on film, seeing these guys around their teammates and all those factors that Bryce Perkins was best served to consider uh, uh, switching, switching positions, or if not doing that, maybe consider uh, moving in a different direction. I, I think you can't really argue with that, certainly not from our perspective, given the amount that we have seen. And I also would say that it's important to note, ASU really is doing Bryce Perkins a solid by bringing it to him before the start of classes. A lot of times you see these quarterback battles play out with two or even three guys uh, well into the start of camp. ASU obviously is a semester school, so they start early. Once someone starts classes, they can't transfer. So for ASU to be honest and, and forthright about uh, Bryce Perkins being in third on the depth chart and um, that it was going to be a hard pathway to him being able to play quarterback for ASU and then giving him at least a few days or a week to, to get the paperwork that enables him to look at other options, I think that's really 
uh, nice uh, of ASU, and, and I think it's a it's a it's smart thing politically when you're talking about Chandler High School and a prominent program and somewhere you want to have uh, recruit successfully come from. Of course, Bryce Perkins wasn't recruited by Chip Lindsey; he was recruited by Mike Norvell, and so so that's something that they can talk about as part of that process. And as much as they want to say the offense is the same, there there are, in my opinion, differences. And then um, and then the other part of it is really just. Um, you know, the relationship that you have with, 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 with Perkins individually and, and, and just kind of knowing how he feels about wanting to be a quarterback for sure as opposed to playing other positions, which ASU tried to get him to consider initially in that process. I just think it's a very respectable thing. And um, and I also uh, understand that Todd Graham would protect his player and not necessarily want to convey all the things that are going on privately. And it's a college football world nowadays where headlines are being made. You see Nick Saban at Alabama right now. One of the national stories this week is his intent to block the transfer of a defensive back in Maurice Smith to Georgia, a rival school of Alabama, where Smith could go play for Kirby Smart, who was in charge of the Alabama defense. This is Todd Graham coming out in front of this situation and allowing Perkins the opportunity to perhaps make a move if, if his ultimate goal is to play quarterback at this level. And all indications have pointed to that being his decision, but I want to flip things around once again. Graham coming to him this early in the process, is three or four days of fall camp enough to really evaluate whether a quarterback has the potential to play with the first team? Because consider this, in, since 2014, Bryce Perkins has played for Chandler High School, he's played for Mike Norvell, he's played for Chip Lindsey, and he's also been mentored by Dennis Guile. So he's had a, quite a few different voices in his head and really only three days of fall practice of an open quarterback competition to show for it. Yeah, but he's been in the program for a year. And, I mean, I know Chip Lindsey just got here, but they've seen him. So I think, you know, I mean, we can start the clock on the three days and say maybe it's not enough. And I even didn't think it was enough Or in the last podcast. I talked about a potential position move and thinking they should keep him at quarterback just because of the amount of improvements he's made in a short amount of time. But – they got to make a decision at quarterback, and they got to uh, set a pecking order, so to speak, at quarterback. So, you know, is it enough time just to start a fall? No, but they have seen him for a year and a half, and not even including what they saw in high school. If there was a sentiment from Chip Lindsey coming out of the spring that even though not articulated to, to the press or fans that Bryce Perkins was clearly third, and the, and the reasons for him being clearly third did not demonstrably improve at the outset of camp, then I understand it. And it ultimately, it comes down to not what anybody else feels from seeing it in a more limited uh, perspective, but how he sees it through the prism of being the offensive coordinator at ASU and knowing what he wants to accomplish. And I just think that you can't really find too much fault in that particular get particularly given that he did not originally recruit Bryce Perkins. And two more factors to discuss very quickly about Bryce Perkins. On Monday, he was named to Sean Griswold, the ASU strength and conditioning coach's dirty dozen, by all accounts, the first quarterback to ever make that group, which is really a, an impressive feat. He power cleaned 290 pounds. He achieved a number of other goals in the weight room. And from my perspective, if you're ASU, you can't help but see those numbers and think that he could help you at a different position. It, if Brady White or Manny Wilkins is falling behind in a quarterback competition and they're putting up those kinds of strength and, and speed numbers, then you've got an athlete on your hands that if he's a local product, you're going to want to find a creative way to deploy him. 
yeah, it's something that's been talked about with Bryce Perkins since he hit varsity at Chandler. Like, what positions are going to play in the future? I've been one that's not thought he had a strong future at quarterback. I admit he's gotten better, and I, like I said earlier, I think he should stay there at least another year. Now he's hurt, so who knows? But yeah, he could be someone that plays tight end. He could play someone that plays linebacker, receiver. I don't really see running back just because of his size, but I mean, his brother was a good running back. His dad was a running back. He was a great running quarterback. So. There's a lot of talent there. And if he ends up transferring, it's still probably 50-50. He stays a quarterback no matter where he goes. Football is a really grueling, mentally demanding, physically challenging type of endeavor. And what an ASU fan would hope would be uh, for to see a local guy change positions and help their program. But at the end of the day, you have to consider that uh, given the amount of investment that goes into doing this, that if Bryce Perkins wants to be a quarterback, maybe he only wants to play quarterback, otherwise he doesn't want to play football, how can you argue or put up upon someone else your perspective or your mindset in that regard? And I, and I don't begrudge him one ounce if he decides, hey, I want to be a quarterback and that's it, whether that's ASU, somewhere else, or not at all. I think that's a completely commendable way of looking at things for, for a quarterback like Perkins who has had success. I mean, when you look at his career at Chandler, he did very well, and maybe mm. he didn't have the best mechanics there, but he was a winner. So if he feels like he can be a winner at the next level, if he feels like he can use his legs, use his arm in creative ways to uh, exploit defenses, then more power to him, and, and potentially maybe he'll find a spot down the line where he can do that at ASU or do that somewhere else. But the final factor that I want to talk about in terms of Perkins' development is, did the presence of Dylan Sterling Cole arriving on campus and coming in so quickly and looking so physically impressive have anything to do with this decision, do you think, Chris? It had to. Kevin touched on this earlier. Dylan Sterling Cole physically is as big as Bryce Perkins. It probably will end up even bigger than Bryce Perkins down the road. He has a bigger, better arm. That's very self-evident. Anybody who's out there can see that. Um, he's a good athlete, probably not as fast as Bryce Perkins, but he has very good mobility for a pocket-style quarterback who can deliver, deliver the football. And um, ASU's coaches are going to try to figure out creative ways to develop all their quarterbacks as quickly as they possibly can. And that had to be a consideration in having a conversation with Bryce Perkins about his role with the team moving forward. And, and also the fact that they have Ryan Kelly, who's uh, by many accounts as highly regarded as either one of those guys who's now nipping at their heels. And Todd Graham told me very candidly one time a couple years ago, my preferred number is four quarterbacks. If we have four good quarterbacks, I'm still going to have someone who's not, not happy. Maybe I'm going to have two guys that are not happy. If I, have quarter, if I have five quarterbacks, I'm guaranteed to have multiple guys who are not happy. And then you run the risk of that, having that uh, then bleed into other players on your team, choosing sides and things of that nature. To me, to me with Sterling Cole, too, I kind of wonder if it's more if the other two guys, Wilkins and White, went down, who would, the, who would they go with? Maybe it is Sterling Cole. And that's why this came up now, just because they want to get him to a point where he's ready. They're probably going to redshirt him, but we've seen them dress Wilkins and White during redshirt years every game too. So, you know, I, I think Sterling Cole plays a part of it, but I think it's still not in the works for him to play this year. 
this is a situation I brought up with Chris the other day that Sterling Cole likely going to redshirt this year, probably wouldn't see action. But if, if there are quarterbacks who get hurt in front of him, kind of reminds me of a, a Josh Dobbs type character at Tennessee, former ASU commit who flipped on the last day and ultimately played his true freshman due to injuries. And, and then Chris said to me that that was his co- comparison for Dylan Sterling Cole. Yeah, from a tool standpoint, it, I, you do see a lot of similarities. Um, and, and that's very interesting to say. At the end of the day, quarterback evaluating is a very tricky, difficult thing. And I think we all can agree that you've seen plenty of guys that you thought should be good quarterbacks that end up not being. And then you have guys who come up out of nowhere and, and end up being really good players. As everyone's talked about, uh, there's a parallel to the 2012 quarterback situation when uh, Taylor Kelly went from third to first. And it kind of surprised most people around the program. I'm sure that there were some media members um, or others locally who felt like Bryce Perkins being the local state champion at Chandler, there was an extra little uh, voting block or rooting for him to make it in that kind of a way and, and, and have the same sort of experience of going from probably third to first. It doesn't look like that's going to happen now. But who's to say maybe in two, three years we look back at this situation and – feel a lot differently if somebody emerges or they transfer somewhere else and they end up having success. I I would never say, I don't think, and maybe this is the better way to put it, I don't think that there was so much clear separation mm-hmm. between Manny Wilkins, Brady White, and Bryce Perkins, all three of them, from what we have seen, given how young that they are in college, sophomore and two redshirt freshmen, that we know for sure that Manny Wilkins and Brady White are better than Bryce Perkins, but it's just a decision that you have to make because you're on a timeline and something else is always coming up around the corner and you got to get ready for it. Now, as for Bryce Perkins, he's out two to three months with a neck injury. We don't know quite about the severity of that injury, but two to three months is a significant amount of time. The neck is never a good place to get injured. Where does he go from here in his career? What is his next step? The best thing to do, I think, is just to take a step back. Uh, it would be understandable if other schools are going to be hesitant from a medical standpoint of taking a transfer in that type of situation. That could have led to him uh, having fewer options to consider, which then led to the discussion with ASU about remaining a quarterback. I think given how many variables are possible, let's say hypothetically that the other quarterbacks don't do very well this season. Maybe he, he's in November or December and there's a – uh, reevaluation of the situation that leads to a uh, a opportunity for Bryce Bergens to then compete again in the spring, and maybe he feels like the coaches have been honest, and so maybe they're, they're being honest now, and maybe I do have a, a legitimate chance. Maybe he works on his throwing mechanics in a way that continue to improve and develop. Maybe somebody else leaves. Uh, maybe some maybe something else happens. You, you just can't know, other than to say that this is something that we're going to still be talking about at the end of the season because how would we not be talking about it at, at the end of the season as it relates to what, what Bryce Perkins ends up doing. Now, what could make this more of a moot point in some respects is if the other two quarterbacks, one of them, Manny Wilkins or Brady White, goes out and just lights it out, sets the world on fire, and never looks back. In that scenario, well, of course that makes it more likely not just for one quarterback to transfer, but two or more quarterbacks to transfer. Um, and, and, and so 
I don't want to do too much speculating other than to say that there's very many possibilities that could happen, and we're probably not going to be talking a lot about it while Bryce Perkins is hurt and recovering until he's healthy and at the end of the season, unless other guys are just really struggling, and then that leads to a conversation about that. As of now, the ASU quarterback's room mirrors the fountain of youth. Manny Wilkins is a sophomore. Brady White, a redshirt freshman. Bryce Perkins, a redshirt freshman. Dylan Sterling Cole, a true freshman who looks like he's headed for a redshirt year. And then 2017, you've already got Ryan Kelly on the board. ASU has recruited the quarterback position very well. And we'll touch on how they've recruited the quarterback position very well in a premium recruiting podcast we'll release later. But just right now, let's talk a little bit about Ryan Kelly and what he figures to add to an already deep-looking quarterback group. Kelly's, uh, to me, really impressive. I put him up there with Kyle Allen as one of the top quarterbacks to come out of Arizona since I've been following it. Um, Might be a better fit under Chip Lindsey than he was Mike Norvell to an ASU's offense. I never really liked him going to Oregon. Didn't think he was a good fit for that type of offense. Uh, Good arm. I wouldn't say it's a great arm, but he's accurate, very polished. Um, Good athlete, decent-sized kid who could probably be about 6'3", 200 pounds, you know, by the time he's a redshirt freshman. I think I think he's going to need to work on uh, accuracy on the move outside of the pocket, uh, especially on that X Y axis. He tends to uh, overthrow or underthrow guys in that fashion. Uh, I think that uh, at, at at Basha, uh, pocket awareness and being able to stay in there and read and go through progressions is something that um, is is interesting with him, and, and we're going to see how that unfolds. But he has really good size. He has plenty of arm, not a great arm, but but more than enough at the college level. Uh, I, I feel like his, his, he's done a good job developing his body over the last year. He was very thin and now uh, looks a lot better. Uh, I feel like he's hungry and has a competitive uh, edge that maybe I hadn't necessarily seen totally at an earlier stage of his development and, and was a question mark. And certainly he has the uh, physical tools to be able to come in and make coaches take a serious look at him. As of now, it is a two-man race for the Arizona State starting quarterback job. It's way too early to call it. I won't ask you guys to speculate, but with Manny Wilkins and Brady White going at it over the next few weeks to earn the title of starter, what will you be watching for? Well, you have to come back to the same things that the ASU coaches are talking about on a consistent basis. Todd Graham and Chip Lindsey never miss an opportunity to talk about ball security, talk about getting the ball out, distributing it, running a team, elevating the other 10 guys. And some of those things are just kind of rhetorical. But at the end of the day, they're probably charting everything. It's a a fine tooth comb and nothing's really going to get missed in that that process. I feel like um, Manny Wilkins, as long as he doesn't make too many mistakes, just as the one-year senior guy, and the fact that he probably has a good rapport with a lot of players who are a little bit older on the roster as a result of that, and them looking at that leadership uh, quality as a factor. I think he probably has a slight edge uh, due to some of those things, but I still, again, don't see enough separation between them in a tangible way on the field to make any verdict on what I think would happen. I would just say, though, that my sentiment is it's probably best to play both of them given that you're you're playing NAU to start out with and there's very little risk to putting both of those guys on the field and seeing how they do in a real game. 
yeah, this thing might not be settled for a while. I mean, it, we might not know until the first three and out against Texas Tech who the starting quarterback really is because I feel that they're going to rotate them to some degree when we start out. And for me, looking at it, you know, not being there, probably looking at what the coaches are saying, but one of the things we heard about was just how they engage the rest of the team in leadership. And it might be the one that does the best of that, even if it's not the best what they do in the field. So it's not the Cardale Jones, JT Barrett of Battle of Ohio State in 2015, <laughs> but it is a battle that we will be watching very closely over the next few weeks. Before we sign off from episode two of the Send of a Source Report podcast, we do want to touch on some other quick notes from practice that took place today. Chris, injuries to Demario Richard and Jalen Harvey both emerged from practice on crutches. Harvey was in a boot. Richard had a bare right foot walking down the stairs toward the Carson Center locker room this morning. Graham did say that neither of those injuries were serious. Can we take him at his word on this? Too early to say. Those guys are going to need to get further evaluation. It's, it's not as if they got the medical reports back and they really know exactly what the details are when, when Graham made those comments. He tends to want to think positively about injuries. I understand that. Um, sometimes it, it proves to be the case, and other times guys are in, ending up being out uh, for a longer period of time. It was just kind of a surreal day almost to have the Perkins news, and then you see the golf carts pull up one after another, and you have Jalen Harvey in a walking boot in his right, right ankle with crutches, and then the next one comes, and you see Demario Richard uh, with his left shoe off and crutches, and, and Demario Richard wasn't putting a whole lot of weight on that right ankle. In fact, I didn't really see any. And is it a, a regular ankle sprain? Is it a high ankle? Um, we'll have to see. The good news is with Demario Richard, you don't need him to practice much. He's a guy that you could just plug right in there probably as long as he's operating at or near full strength in another three weeks, and he's probably going to be fine and ready to go. Jalen Harvey, I don't feel necessarily the same way about. All those reps are really important to him, but they do have – probably better wide receiver depth competitively than they've had in, in some of their years here to where they can overcome that. And keep in mind, perhaps symbolically, Richard, Graham, Harvey, all showing up today uh, right as a monsoon started outside of Arizona State. <laughs> so just the weather was, was coming, coming in, pouring on down. Another quick note from this morning's practice, we got the chance to see the defense aligned for one rep this morning of tempo period, and there was a significant development. Christian Sam, who in the past has played Will Linebacker, who's been out for a few days, has been taking it easy after off-season hip surgery, was aligned at spur linebacker, which you wouldn't normally look at Sam and say he's a spur, but those three linebackers that ASU has, Christian Sam, Salamo Fiso, and DJ Calhoun, appear to be the top three, so it could be a way for Graham to get all three on the field together at once. If you circle back to 2012, uh, Chris Young played Spur, even though he was a Spur will, he was a heavier guy, 250 pounds, needed to lose weight. Uh, and um, I, I just think that when you have, uh, a, when you have uh, Christian Sam, DJ Calhoun, Salamo Fizo, what Keith Patterson has told us uh, pretty consistently is he wants to try to find creative ways to get those guys on the field together. Now, Christian Sam, he had the hip surgery in the off-season, arthroscopic, so he's been slow to get going uh, sort of at the outset of camp. But Calhoun has looked good, and I think that Christian Sam is the type of guy who has the movement skills of uh, a hybrid safety uh, with the size of a linebacker, especially when he's trim and in shape. And so this may be the creative way that allows them to get those three guys on, on the field together. 
I think we saw Sam play a little spur as a freshman too when he when mm-hmm. he first came in. He and, did, and Calhoun did as well. Calhoun to me is filled out more. I said he looks like Brandon McGee now. I think he's a guy that's got to be inside. So out of those three, you know, Fizo's not going to play spur. So yeah, you're going to get the three on the field at the same time. Sam would be the guy for that. It could be something too that you know they're looking at for the heavier set. They're more run teams to yeah. get the three of them out there together. Maybe yeah. you look at more of even a truer three-four look with Wicker playing defensive end, no yeah. no real devil, and then you've got those three linebackers and at Marcus Ball in there. Yeah, they want to be more multiple, and so I think exploring all the ways by which they could do that and then tailor it to pro-style teams versus spread teams, uh, all these things are, are, are understandable that they would be exploring. And uh, interesting, and we wish that we would be able to see a little bit more of it than we have, <laughs> but we're doing the best that we can to figure out what they may be thinking given what they've done in the past and what they've articulated to us uh, throughout this year. That first quarter against NAU is going to be an educational experience for us. Could be fascinating. And NAU uh, has some pretty good talent uh, on the offensive side of the football. Chase Cookus. Yeah, and Manuel Butler, Butler. who's a fantastic receiver out of uh, Mountain Point, uh, had more than 1,000 yards as a sophomore. So they're going to get a test, enough of a test, to be able to see kind of where they're at, I think, early on. And we're definitely looking forward to covering that and, and giving you all the perspective that we possibly can. Final note from today's practice. Yesterday, offensive line coach Chris Thompson told us that he thinks he has the best five offensive linemen on the field. That group of five, Evan Goodman, Sam Jones, Stephon McRae, Zach Robertson, and Quinn Bailey. Up until yesterday, Robertson had been practicing at right guard, Bailey at right tackle. Today, those two flip-flop. Chris, what to read into this? Well, it's the same five. But it's now a matter of seeing if it, it could be configured in a different way that makes a lot of sense. We've seen Quint Bailey play uh, guard earlier uh, in the spring a little bit. Last year they gave him opportunities to get reps in, in, in both of those places as he was uh, kind of developing. He's made significant strides in the last couple of years. But when I watched one-on-ones – uh, up in Payson on the one day that I really focused on it, he had a hard time handling speed on the edge. And so Zach Robertson, who had been getting second-team reps at right tackle, first-team reps at right guard, I think they decided uh, that they wanted to see if they flip-flop those guys, if that proved to be a better uh, combination, just given the fact that both of those guys are capable of playing guard or tackle. And one interesting note. Chris Thompson did tell us that Steve Miller is pretty close as well. He really likes the way Miller finishes plays, so he's possibly in there contending around the sixth slot, as is Cole Cabral, the true freshman. Tyler McClure, a walk-on junior who was looked at as the first-team center throughout much of the spring practices, he is also in that kind of group of players who you could consider playing. But that will do it. For us from episode two of the Sun Devil Source Report, 25 days to the season opener against NAU. Remember, you can, can you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. You can listen to us on Google Play. And if you like our podcast, please drop us a rating on iTunes. It will really help get the word out about the Sun Devil Source Report. And if you're looking to sponsor the Sun Devil Source Report podcast, feel free to reach out to Chris Cartman. Chris, I don't know if you want to put your your uh, email out there right now to elicit some sponsorships. I think people can find us on Twitter, uh, on our uh, premium community, and, and, and figure out how to reach us there. Exactly. So plenty to look forward to. Media Day is Saturday. We'll have a podcast dropping from Media Day on Monday of next week. 
uh, for Kevin, Kevin Stewart, our recruiting analyst, Chris Cartman, the publisher of SunDevilSource.com. I am your host and editor, Kerry Crowley. Thank you so much for joining us.